Saying low, Apple Music. Lifetime ambition alert. Nice, tidy little DJ Khaled reference there to kick off this week's podcast introduction. Sometimes it's a bit weird trying to put into context a conversation that comes out of the blue and, and sort of floors you before you've even had it. The idea of talking to Mick Fleetwood about rumors. I mean, that story has been told many times before. So how do you approach it in a different way? And yeah, like consciously in a different way. So as to not ask the same questions and do all the same things. I don't know if I achieved that, but what I didn't do was come in with any questions. I just kind of trusted Mick to guide us into the conversation he wanted to have. And it was deep and it was very honest and at times emotional and it was one of a kind. So I'm very, very honored to share it with you and very privileged to have been a part of it. This is a conversation with Mick Fleetwood talking about a legendary album, Rumors, right here on the Apple Music podcast, Zane Low interview show thing. Hey, hey. Hey, hey! What's going on? Are you in the? Are you are you in paradise? I bet you're in paradise. I am. I am in paradise. Oh, I love it there so much. I was checking uh, out some of your beautiful interviews, and Eminem, I thought had a very good intro when he said, "I'm just going to sit in front of you and piss myself." Yeah, that was. Uh, that, <laughs> that's. <laughs> I, I thought you handled it really well. I'm going like, uh, I, I'm not so sure that you really didn't, but you know. Well, let me tell I, you. I, I felt that I couldn't top that one apart from say I'm I'm 74 years old and I think I need to go to the toilet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm 48 years old and I share that problem, but I don't think that's where Eminem was going with that. I think he was going. I think he was going for more of that hard-edged Detroit sense of humor. Whereas I think you and I are going uh, more for the the elder the elder man's problem. (laughs) (laughs) You you never know where it might go. (laughs) You never do. He loves that. Let me tell you about Eminem, man. He loves to put you on the back foot out the gate. That's a big fun and game for him. Um, yeah. And I, and it took me years to figure that out with him, how to sort of navigate that space because he's never happier than when you're on the back foot at the start of an interview. It's pretty fun. Well, I was very impressed with your foot forward treatment. Thanks, man. Uh, by the way, I'm a huge fan of his. I think he's right right from the get-go. was fascinating and just really super talented and not afraid of being misunderstood for sure and all the rest of it. So yeah. there you go. That doesn't surprise me that you would say that because I feel like you're somebody who has put a lot of a lot of strong energy and positive energy out there in, in, in the same way, different ways, but for the same result, which is to ultimately charter your own path and tell your truth and 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 be unafraid to kind of see where that where that lands, right? Take those learnings and move forward. And and I, I really see that in your spirit and in the spirit of the music you made. And, and were you always that? Were you always that kick up dust kid? Were you always that person when you were growing up that was like, you know, I'll be unapologetically myself? Well, uh, but probably. I mean, I was always looking for, I didn't really know who and what I was because I was a total academic dunce, dyslexic and <laughs> clinging on to anything. Sort of became an, an early storyteller where you can't go on a straight line. So, they say that most of the, the criminals or the, the arch talented politicians, a lot of them actually are dyslexic. But so I, I learned to sort of find out and hold my own in a sort of ether of non knowing and be fairly quick on my feet as much as possible. Because it's survival like, die at that point, isn't it? It really is. Especially when it hasn't well, been properly diagnosed back then. You're just like, look, how am I just going to hustle my way through this? I mean, I think understanding, I think what you're saying is it paid sort of dividends in 
even now, because you are who you are. I don't think you really ever super, super change. But that part of me, I think in the shy, slightly clinging on, slightly wanting to need, need the need of, of being around other people. And I learned that very early in terms of creating a team that I felt I could, in a way, express myself with and through, which is probably very close to the Fleetwood Mac story in terms of this funny little creature playing drums. What a story. I mean, we're here today to really kind of dive into, you know, an anniversary of an album which um, has gone way beyond notes and melody and music and beats. And it's, it's, it's now widely regarded as like a cultural document, you know. And when you sort of think about like the success of that album and, what it's, and the numbers and all the things that we all obsess over at times like this, if you can somehow just reject all of that, and just think and just yeah. think about it as as an experience and as and as just a body of work and just a collection of songs which have supported you as much as you supported them like what is your relationship to that album has it changed over time i think after the whirlwind of of not knowing really what we were doing not none of that was preconceived in terms of we produced ourselves you know with with ken and, and richard dasher ken Calais and richard dasher part of really in essence band member type connection so we were all really naive in terms of slick harry type of delivering the consummate whatever it was that turned out to be so having said that i think we inherited really maybe it's an obvious sort of looking back as to what it was we inherited a whole tidal wave much like several people i've watched you interview where they sort of relate to, I didn't really know what was going on until a little while later. And the fact that we're having this conversation 40 odd years later about the same body of work that was created by that lineup of Fleetwood Mac yeah. is one, I don't think about it until you start talking about it with, say, you and I. And and it is it is really a back, for me especially, and I think probably to a large extent, to the other band members, a permanent backdrop that has, has become part of, the, no doubt, the fabric of, of who we are, certainly as players and, and, and artists, but also the effectual with what it did to us as, as people through that, the challenges of it, the sociological messes and joys that it brought, all of that are, are are in these collection of songs known as the, the Rumors album. I think it was uh, a little bit of, uh, for, for me and John especially, in a way we had had, our, for us it was a large tidal wave it, back in England with at the beginnings of Fleetwood Mac in 1967-68 with Peter Green, where we were the, the pop boys of, you know, certainly down in Australia and the Commonwealth, not over here uh, really at all, apart from some boutique interest in the band, which was demonstrated later by certainly Carlos and people and the Grateful Dead have definitely heard about the music that we made and and apparently loved it. Oh man, Carlos went on to me about Peter for a good 15 minutes when I spoke to him at the end of last year and talked about the guitar and the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. So... When when the waves sort of hit, I I think me and John, uh, speaking certainly for myself, we'd we'd had some reference to having something, and in truth, 
the wave dissipated. And um, before Stevie and Lindsay, although we continued through the Bob Welch era uh, and so forth, and, and many wonderfully talented people, you could see on a graph that for us, it was just we were keeping going. We never thought one way or the other. But the truth is, we were on the on the sort of a quiet period in terms of success. But me and John had had that shock as really young chaps in England, where we were top of the pops, stupid, stupid, top of the pops, and stupid yeah. praises like they're selling more than the Beatles and all, yeah. all this stuff. Yeah, and and therefore took it in our stride a little bit more, I think. In terms, I hope, and it certainly helped me. Uh, until I got super crazy and you know substance abuse later on and all that stuff. But in the early days of of the band that we're talking about that made that album Rumors, I really felt that that too had helped me say, hang on, hang on, this is this is all fantastic, but we're doing what we're doing, and it helped certainly from the Peter Green days. We always, uh, especially led by Peter, held on to our integrity as, as players and, and really didn't get super caught up in being so-called, you know, pop stars or rock stars. Well, that's what, that, that's what, you know, attracts other great musicians to your band is that, you know, success is one thing, but, but great musicians are attracted to that integrity, that character of the music. They want to be a part of it. And when Lindsay and Stevie joined the group, obviously they brought in a whole new sort of musical element to the chemistry of it but before we get to that did you immediately recognize the the how the chemistry had changed within the band because that's what a big part of what rumors has has kind of been about the story of it at least was all of the swirling chemistry of Fleetwood Mac that gave birth to this music but was ultimately a very human experience and that wouldn't have happened if those two hadn't joined the band right I mean it's all this kind of like knock-on effect well uh very true one has to quietly remember that John and Chris came at that point as a married couple that were mu- musically connected, which was a reflection, certainly, God knows, of Stevie and Lindsay came so connected at the hip musically uh, as partners and as partners. Me and Chris and John had gone through the whole, we lived together in, in houses for years, like Benny Folds back, you know, the proverbial go to the country and survive as a band house that did just that so in in many ways we were preset for that to be continuing and i think that's part of the lovely story that you're you're hinting at or going to is that it really was a connected right at the beginning there a really really connected bunch of people yeah you know in full relationships uh musically and personally so we were set up Especially, I would imagine, when I think of Christine and having Stevie come come into the band, I think that was a huge success in terms of of and i and I'm gathering through all time that it was also a huge move for Stevie where she she felt uh, her identity in tandem with Lindsay, no doubt uh, as it went on for a long, long time, especially creatively, yeah, but as a lady, I think. It allowed her a sense of, of more expression, more feeling her druthers within the framework of, of being creative. Have to. So it was the perfect home for, uh, you know, and it, and it was a utopian get-together that went on, as we all know, to be quite challenged in different, <laughs> in different ways. Yeah, of no course. No doubt. Of course. But that, that core uh, 
you can't get away from. And the core of that is all over this album. So let me ask you a question, which might borderline on on the personal, but I think you'll respect, understand where I'm coming from. You've got Stevie and you've got Lindsay and then you've got John, you've got Christine and then you've got you and you're married, but yeah. you're in a band with two married couples, but you're married. So how is that affecting your relationship? Because if I was your wife, and you probably something you never thought anyone like me would say, but if I was... <laughs> <laughs> if I was your wife at the time, I'm not. I'm not sure where I would fit into this, into this, into this puzzle, right? Because it, it feels like everyone's in a relationship except you, but you're sort of in both, in a weird way. No, no I, I'm sure if Jenny was here, uh, who I love and adore still to this day, I think in truth, not right at the beginning, but uh, as you can see by the, the mention, we're no longer partners. Yeah. But I, I think that that absolutely became my family and me in, in many unwitting ways assumed too much uh, on my partner for sure yeah. I, I think that's uh, actually really uh, therapeutically resonates as being probably very close to the truth where everything that I did was about especially during the making of this album which was hold this family together which was already yes. being challenged yes i was going to ask uh, you about no. the role the responsibility oh my God. it well it was it was that and that i think that did take second fiddle uh if jenny was speaking for herself i think she's probably even written about it in a lovely book she wrote so yeah i i became you know in my hopefully not presumptive way father confessor and like Lindsay said you know piggy in the middle <laughs> Jeez, no wonder you turned to drugs what a and nightmare. And lost, and, <laughs> and lost, lost most of my hair. <laughs> exactly. They talk about these the, the, the distractions of destruction. I mean, that'll put you there. You know what I mean? Having to try and keep two marriages together and a band and, and your own relationship. My gosh. Well, well, you know, I won't say I put myself in, in the, the full therapeutic place because that would be really not completely true. But I, I really do feel that my quiet fear, which didn't actually last, mercifully didn't last that long, because everyone, of course, goes, how, I mean, Warner Brothers were phone, I was at that point, you know, aesthetically managing the band or whatever one, some perverse version of, of that, uh, was every five minutes, they just assumed the band was going to break up. Really quite close to the beginning of making that album, when all hell had broken loose before we even started it, and all the plans that were, were definitely quietly thought of, like getting everyone out of LA, going to the record plant in Sausalito, getting them away from you know any other distractions other than what we were doing, I, I will confess that that was a plot, you know, uh, that actually proved to be fairly, if not successful, for for a while. And then, then I realized, I think we all realized, but I certainly realized being this terrified little creature going like, oh my God, this is so fantastic. And tell me it's all going to go out the window was that I didn't actually feel about a few weeks into it, any more fear that everyone was so dedicated to what we were doing. I completely got off that train that this was disappearing. And and genuinely would tell anyone around me 
that were full of doubt, I said, this is not going to disintegrate. We're all really, really unbelievable personal cost, knowing the misery that especially the four people in the couple set up. Yeah. Um, uh, ironically, Jenny and I had broken up at the same time. So, so five of us were, were in a, a state of flux. That's a lot and, of pain. Um, That's a lot of pain. And a lot of pain. Uh, and this creature known as Fleetwood Mac and what we were doing became the safe harbor in, in a way, I believe. It's <sighs> so fascinating, Mick, because for so long, the story has been that Fleetwood Mac was kind of, you know, the story was always it was sort of the the catalyst for all of this and that it got too big and it just it got in the way of everyone's relationships. And for you to actually say it really was everyone's individual salvation and ultimately helped charter a path through that pain puts yeah. rumors in the in the right context, which is that it's actually a healing experience, not a separating experience. It, I agree. And it, uh, was it a complete healing? No. But it, it has those elements to it, certainly in the complete chaos that would have really against, uh, if you were sitting in Vegas, you go, there's no way that this bunch are going to survive this. It's, it's, it's too painful. You can't and shouldn't do that. It's too much to bear. Yeah. And, and uh, for instance, I, I remember several times, you know, Lindsay would reference that we were not able it served as a as a bondo experience, meaning like holding it together, yeah. genuinely, with no uh, no real risk of it imploding and, and disappearing. Certainly, as quick as a lot of people thought or could have thought, and then and then a whole other scenario happened, which was the beginning of the journey, the wave of what this this body of work created, <laughs> yeah. with, which which would have been um, I sort of maybe speak a little bit to Lindsay's and it was so well put he said and then we didn't ever really really deeply heal that yeah. the, what had really happened to everyone it's like you, you got this close right you do the work you let the art try to work you to a point where then you're yeah. supposed to go away and figure it out and then you just get drawn into the biggest distraction of all correct and 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 i think I think those dynamics, uh, you know, and I'll just say it, especially for, for Stevie and Lindsay, I don't think, uh, certainly are not resolved fully. And, and I wish they were. And, and I, I visualize that those moments, you know, as the, the years trickle by somehow. But I, I truly, you know, somewhat sadly think that that will go, you know, into the, the rainbow yeah. somewhere. And, and and never really change, but gosh, go. it's 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 it really is. It really is flying so close to the sun, isn't it? I mean, they talk about it in that in those terms, and and people throw that that old myth mythology around a lot. But there are very few bands and artists that have really done that and lived to tell the tale. Were there moments when you were scared for your own safety and the safety of your friends in the band when the success was so large and so overwhelming, and America was just so unstoppable? That you were thinking, I don't know if we're actually built to do this. This is probably not what human beings really should be doing with their <laughs> lives. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't think. I think we were suitably naive not to really analyze to that extent. I think all of that 
would come in a reflective way yeah. a long, long, long time later. Things that affected, you know, the, the, in a way, that, and, it, and it's not meant in the, in the sort of sinister sense of it, but the souls were sold to the company store, you know, in, in no uncertain way, really. We lived and breathed, again, not all of it. None of this was all completely unhappy, by the way. I mean, the yeah. drama, the drama is, is, is a Shakespearean play, no doubt, because it has so many elements in it, which, which are very personal, which have the dynamics of men and, and women pulling this sleigh along, loaded with you know, lifestyle, songs, created lunacy, and yet somehow... I think we were we had some form of angel system that even protected us there. And believe me, it was crazy, and it's no news to anyone out there, uh, public knowledge. But somehow there, there was some decorum. There was some decorum uh, about who and what we did uh, as people. And it was always emotive, emotionally driven, which had it been, you know, quite literally – you know, a bunch of lads in a band, it would have been, it, yeah, I think, I, I think we, you know, <laughs> certainly, again, you'll probably hear it about 3,000 times speaking for myself. Uh, I think having the ladies in the band, yeah. you know, uh, as it should, it, it, it reined us in on some damn level. And we, uh, I think, benefited from that, certainly as, as a band. What was a good day like? Let's get into the good days. So much has been talked about, like the struggles and the and the dramas. I I want to know what a really. I'm going to ask you the question no one's ever asked you before in relation to rumors. <laughs> what was a good day like, man? <laughs> what was a good day like? Like, what were some of the fonder memories you have of making that 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 record? Let's get granular. Let's get into the detail. Well, uh, for me, it was just seeing the, the music unfold and all the creative, you know. I mean, I, I think I'm following the the lead here in terms of one of one of the greatest days to me was the seeing things magically come together and manifest, which would be, a, for instance, would be one of Christine's songs. Uh, yeah, I wanted to ask called? you about that. Yes, yeah. like a songbird or something where it just all of yeah. a sudden you just well, hear this come that, out. Yeah, and it did. And I was in the studio when when she she was. It came in like not even ten minutes, just like out of the ether she was alone and on the piano and boom it happened ken Kalev, to my recollect you know hopefully somewhat correct was was still in the studio and and i i just went off on my little drama queen thing i said this reminds me of edith piaf and you should be you're alone and and that then we went over to oakland and recorded that yeah. in an em i forget the name of the theater at the college there with her on a stage playing that, at that point, Lindsay on the original was playing acoustic guitar, just sitting, sitting next to her on an anvil case or something when we recorded it. But it was all her in, in this situation. Those are the moments that, that I live and breathe and, and were hugely, uh, they demonstrated just like having the, the drama, having the, the idea that could have been a complete failure but but wasn't and those things make me feel happy and 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 
connected to what we were doing. There, there were loads of things like that. I remember one time, which I suppose is slightly heavy, when Lindsay was sitting on the floor. I think there's a photograph of it somewhere. And he had a sitar, and Lindsay's completely double-jointed, so he's got he's genuinely got his legs in a full a full sort of guru position with with the uh, and he's going like right at the beginning he was saying this is really hard for me with what's going on with me and Stevie and and I remember succeeding and having a just an upfront conversation with him. I just said if it's truly something that there's too much for you, I'm not really giving you the but it was a happy result at least. I said if if it's truly something that just is too much to bear, then I get it. You you can't be doing this. And um, we're all in a band. And and if if it's too too much where you feel you're not being heard enough in some way, then then this won't work. But if if you can somehow put yourself, which you are as of the moment, you need to feel part of the team or this this can't work. And of course we know what he did. He 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 not only put himself in the team, poured himself he created, into the music. Poured well, himself. he he threw himself yeah deeply in, into uh, what we ended up doing, and you know was such a major part of of the way this all turned out musically, and and that that's always not to be forgotten. It is not forgotten. Certainly, I don't think any one of us would dream of of not acknowledging that important but that seemed to be a success moment where he said you know i get it you know i'm I'm here and i either like disappear or i'm in this up to my neck and that's how he he uh and he did he 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 delivered everything and, and sacrificed all of his own feelings I, I felt almost in that moment in a way that's how i remember it anyhow I've spoken to someone about the way you play in the band, especially live, and the sense of who you are to your own band. And I, I've always felt that you're Fleetwood Mac's biggest fan. And that the, the guy at the back playing the drums is just really spending the whole night whilst keeping the beat and, and making sure the engine's firing on all cylinders, that you're really just falling in love with every member of your band every night. That's, that's the impression I get. Yeah. I, I, I think, I, I thought, wow. I think that's totally on, on mark. I mean, remember little bits and pieces in this conversation, even that they're hinting at, at like, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I know I'm part of something. Ah, which, you're a cent- you, you are the central hub of it all, around which it all circles, and yet you're able still <laughs> to take yourself, and I'm saying this as a fan, you're able to take yourself out of that role and actually take some, and look at your, listen to your band with some altitude and love yeah. it more than anyone else on the planet. And I think that is so rare. Most musicians get too caught up in their process, and yet you seem to be able to detach yourself in a healthy way, maybe just on stage and go, oh, this is my favorite band. <laughs> no, I, 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 I totally get it. And I, I think that that came from the early days where, as a player, I, I learned through... You know my my friendship and my musical absolutely adoring Peter Green's playing, um, and what he did, which is in the original 
band with, with John and Jeremy and, and of course Danny Kerwin. But that band was such a celebration for me. I found a place where, where Peter, who was already a friend, said, you can do this because I'm not super clever. You know, I mean, I'm pretty good. Pretty good. Doing what I do now. But on, only in this sort of, I don't know what I'm doing childlike way. And I, I mean that seriously. But it, Peter said, no, no, this is perfect. You, you, you're not going to be Flash Harry. You're playing the blues. You're expressing. And I said, I found a home. So that still is sort of what I'm hearing me being part of. And I think it's very well placed. And I'd never thought of it literally like that. But I'm very, very, very happy to be up there. And and I watched everyone like a hawk because that's how I was trained. Every little movement, every little thing. And and John would too, we're, we're blues players. Yeah. So you you look at everything. So that premise also feeds into the the ambiance of no doubt probably what you've just said and what you would see on that stage. Yeah. It- is uh it's crazy it's a, to a happy, a happy man. It, it's crazy to think that that these blues musicians that that came from this this era of just adopt and translate really, which is what modern blues kind of is. Unless you're really in it, you're adopting, translating into something you do, and it makes it unique and fresh. But then you go and you make this album, Rumors, which is just production wise so tight and so focused. And it's just like the perfect album. I think, honestly, the reason why it's done what it's done is the drama's all great. Like you say, it's Shakespearean, but start to finish. Even the track listing. How many times did you dance around the track listing before you got the track listing right? Because you could have flipped this in any one, which you could have started with Songbird and ended with Dreams. It's like, how do you even land? It would have been a completely different record. It's like, it's crazy to me. I'm very sure that there would be like, you know, the blackboard and the, the gaffer tape and the, and I think Stevie, uh, pretty sure she got relegated or, or would grab at one of the two. And she always requested, even even down to the tours that we've done most recently, would be, let Stevie have a go at the, at the, uh, the list. Usually with huge success. And, and we go like, yeah, that's cool. I'm thinking that she probably put this together. Love that. Uh, and, of course, I think it was on this album that one of the, the age-old What's it, uh, Silver Springs that didn't make it on the album? Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's right. That 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 wasn't much fun for me. I had to go and tell her. <laughs> <laughs> How does that conversation go? <laughs> it was in the car park at the record plant in LA at that point. We, we, we used about, you know, three or four different studios and, you know, we had to like get out of uh, the record plant. I, I wander around a bit, so excuse my uh, sort of lack of concentration, but... I think when we left the record. Have you not worked out yet that we're perfectly suited in this conversation? (laughs) (laughs) Wallowing, wallowing around in the abyss. It's my life. So, so anyhow, I ended up in a car park, uh, having to tell young Stevie that a great song and, and, and the, and truly, 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 we were so intent on at that point when you master an album, getting it to sound and, we simply couldn't, unless we sacrificed the level of the, the the dynamic of the album when you put put it put the needle down, and we just felt something had to go, and then that was the song. But that song became 
legendary, but no doubt was really supposed to be part of this album. And it it was uh, a forever, like, I was the, the Grim Reaper in the car park that had to break the news. And Stevie's made me suffer inordinately ever since. <laughs> <laughs> Says a lot about your relationship, though, which I really yeah. love, which is that... Mick, <laughs> you go and tell her. You know, like, oh, God. But you know what? In the end, it's a good day because I'm sure Stevie, in her own strange way, loves to make you suffer. So everybody's a winner, you know, at the end of the day. Oh, yeah. Apps, and she can still do it to me. But, uh, that's crazy. But that song... Um, had a, a real life of its own and in many ways i think became more iconic in its own right and stevie would have um, maybe a, a close reference to the same type of commentary about it she that song she gave that song to her mom uh you know all the publishing and stuff like that so it became mum's song it also became the secret song that all all the people who loved our music like and then they found out well that it was supposed to be on the album, and then where is this song? Uh, I think it ended up on a B-side of one of the singles. And I'm believing in some of these uh, reissues, that song is now on the album. You know, so it made its way back into... It made its way back in, but not after it lived its own journey. And in a way, as you say, it was a privileged journey. Sometimes songs need to live on their own. You know, They need to go on their own, their own do their own thing. When you think about rumors and, and well, first of all, let me ask you a really simple question. Do you ever find yourself listening to this album for any reason whatsoever? Can you actually put yourself in a position of listening to this album and, and enjoy it as someone who didn't necessarily just make it? Yes. You can. Yeah. I, and I have. Uh, I'll probably do it tonight now you've said it. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And do the memories flood back or are you able now to have made peace with enough of them to experience the music as we would to some degree? Oh, I think so. And and, and I wouldn't answer for, you know, writers and singers and who, who knows. But I, I think getting back to your comment, I am a punter. I am a punter, a member of the audience within this band in many ways, as is, is John yeah. a, a, a little bit. He, he wouldn't dramatize it like that. He said, you'd go like, Mick, what are you talking about? You play your drums and shut up, you know. <laughs> but for me, it, it, it is that. When I listen to our music, not only this album that we're talking about, for a long time, I didn't really know what it was I was really contributing apart from, I do know now, you know, I do know, uh, is that, things that you've been so gracious to mention, but my uh, piggy in the middle, keeping some semblance out of panic or insecurity to, to have this not stop, that seeing and, and hearing, hearing a body of work from time to time, that actually now comfortably does cross my mind. I go, well, no, I didn't do that, but this is my song. This is this is my song. Is 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 seeing all this these lovely incarnations of Fleetwood Mac that I've been and John have been so incredibly blessed being around, genuinely being around incredibly talented people that we were able to invite uh, into the band and mercifully with really fantastic, unbelievable. Uh, storytelling results that to me is like my song now and i mean, I, I can express I go like yeah it's not like 
taking credit for anything other than that. But I think if that makes sense, it's a sense of worth for, for me that my father had a, a phrase that sort of applies to things that aren't always honky-dory, aren't always the greatest things since sliced bread. Uh, and yet we're already touching on things of, of huge importance, which were huge versions of celebrating that brought happiness and uh, esteem and confidence to uh, to all of us. It's like with all the, the blows that were taken, you sit back and dad would say, but you know what? It was worth a damn. And, and the worth a damn is talking about this uh, album that so affected the people who made it. Mick, it's on the artwork. You're the dance partner, man. There's no dance without the partner. It's the artwork. Yeah. I mean, it's so iconic for that reason. And that Stevie represents the fragility of 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 the magic that 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 is conjured through this chemistry. She represents how fleeting it could be, the power that she has as an artist and as a writer and a voice, but also this fragility that people know from seeing her perform, she could present as well as vulnerability that comes in equal measure. But you are there, man. You're holding her hand and giving her space to move and in a regal fashion. And I, I think that is everything that is the band to me. I think that's it. I, yeah, I think it's been a fantastic stage. Uh, and not only, you know, the most major incarnation, which is fully our conversation here, the whole journey is is fascinating, and it's always been uh, offered up incredible change, you know, unafraid in many ways. It, it's never been about could you do what the last person did, which is often done with huge success. You know, just the changing of of the creative partner that's brought in. You go. But but now you have to do this and, in a way, emulate to a certain extent. If you look at our fabric through the years, none of that has ever, ever reared its head. It not necessarily would have been a bad thing. It just didn't happen, which is a testimony that, that the stage that was there was really laid open to accept who and what anyone who came through those doors for their own worth. You know, and, and Peter started that when, when, you know, with open arms, he welcomed Danny into a fully formed band that could have been very dictatorial, uh, but wasn't. And those were lessons that, that I always remembered. The incredible Mick Fleetwood, I feel, just taking us a, a layer deeper into the human experience of Making Rumours, an album which I think they kind of give a copy out at childbirth now. I think it's like here's your birth certificate for your child and here's your copy of rumors along with frank ocean's blonde you can take your pick of beyonce records 